and welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy. In this episode, we'll talk with the California boater, fisherman, and all-around waterman, Justin Hugron, about an accident that made him change his perspective and why he always wears a life jacket while open water boating. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thank you so much for joining us today to talk about the importance of life jackets. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. Happy to be part of this. Thank you. And can you tell me where you're from and where you live today? Yeah, so I grew up in Huntington Beach and I've kind of lived all over coastal Orange County from Seal Beach, Huntington, Newport, Dana Point. And I currently live in San Clemente with my family, with my wife and our two young kids. So tell me about your boat. What's its name and what kind of boat is it? And so I've had a handful of boats um, over the years. And, you know, the last 10 or 15 years, I've actually had two boats. I just got rid of one of them, which is a 14 foot Livingston um, small skiff that was primarily for Baja and intercoastal fishing and freshwater fishing. And our other boat is a 22 foot Everglades and it's a center console boat, um, kind of traditional Southern California fishing boat designed for fishing shallow water and making long runs. And the name of the boat is the Narwhal with a G, Narwhal. And yeah, it's 22 foot center console. Cool. And can you tell us about your ocean experience? What kind of ocean sports you do and enjoy and compete in? Yeah, so I love all sorts of ocean activities. I grew up surfing and fishing, and those are kind of two things that have always been super important in my life. Um, I grew up surfing surf contests up and down the coast, and that's since kind of slowed down and transitioned into more fishing tournaments. Um, so I've fished in a whole bunch of tournaments up and down our California coast, um, primarily for bass, for calico bass and sand bass. Um, but I also enjoy diving and all kinds of ocean activity, lobster diving and hoop netting and fishing and yeah, all kinds of activities. So how long have you been boating and fishing and how did you get into boating and fishing? Well, I've been into all of them since I was a little kid, probably since I did junior lifeguards at eight or nine years old. And I had sort of an interesting upbringing where my parents had split up really early on and my dad was super into fishing, still into fishing. So I grew up fishing on the half day boat out of Newport Landing or Davies Locker or the Long Beach. And then that sort of transitioned to longer trips, twilight trips, three quarter day trips, overnight trips, um, fishing whenever I could with my dad. And on the other side, I have my stepdad, who's a pretty key influence in my life too. And he's been a surfer his whole life. So when I was with my mom and my stepdad, I'd surf all day every day and we'd wake up super early and surf um so yeah since since I was a young kid I've been really into surfing and fishing and those two things have really shaped my life and kind of shape where I live and what I do and you know the activities I get my kids involved in and 
it's my whole lifestyle. So yeah, seemingly forever since I can remember I've been into surfing and fishing. Awesome. And what is your favorite and least favorite part about owning a boat? Well, there's way more <laughs> favorites than least favorites. Um, I think what draws me to boating and fishing is just sort of the freedom and, you know, seeing things that you would never see otherwise, you know, getting out and exploring. And I think today in 2023, there's not too many places in the world where you can be completely disconnected where your phone doesn't work and you know there's no people within sight and you really need to think on your toes and rely on yourself and be independent and if something happens you have to sort it out on your own so I just think the sense of adventure is is super fun and being able to see things that nobody else ever sees you know seeing a blue whale up close you know the largest animal on the planet or single white shark thrash a seal a few feet from you just crazy stuff that you would see on tv or national geographic and you know seeing ocean wildlife up close that you otherwise aside from like sea world wouldn't get to see and both on and in the water you know diving you see crazy stuff as well so i think just the sense of adventure and getting out and feeling fresh air in your face and disconnecting from your phone and reality is is the best part, you know, the freedom and being able to go to Mexico and jump off your boat and swim with whale sharks, just stuff that you wouldn't otherwise get a chance to do. You, you can have the opportunity to do on a boat. Um, with that, there are expenses. Boats aren't cheap. There's a lot of maintenance. There's a lot of upkeep. Um, yeah, there's, there's some drawbacks to having a boat, but I would say that the benefits greatly outweigh any negatives associated with having a boat. I can hear the love for the ocean that you have in your in your voice when you talk about it. And you have a family, a cute one that I can attest to, um, that all of the ocean um, and you take your kids out on your boat. Um, what do you do um, to ensure that you have a safe and fun experience with your family? Yeah, so I love boating. I love my kids and to put the two together is, is really fun. And I'm honored to be able to do that. So yeah, safety is a, a big part of it. We, of course, before they even get onto the dock or step foot on the boat, they're wearing life jackets and I try to do the same to be a role model. Um, but yeah, they, they know the safety of a boat. They know where they can walk around on a boat, where they can't, where, when they need to be sitting down, where they can hold on. Um, but yeah, life jackets are a big part of that. Awesome. And where's your favorite place to take your family out boating? Well, as I said, we live in San Clemente and we're fortunate enough to have a harbor just a couple miles away, the Dana Point Harbor. So we spend time down there. We launch the boat and cruising around the harbor. We go out and look at wildlife, check out the seals. We do some fishing. Um, we also spend time on the boat in freshwater as well. We go out we have some family that lives or has a house out at Havasu. So we spent some time there on boats. Um, but yeah, anywhere and everywhere we can put the boat. We, we like to, and yeah, the kids love it. And they're always asking to get out. And fortunately we don't have all the time we want to spend on the boat, but they love being on it and, and driving the boat with us and, you know, just being outside. 
And where do you like to fish offshore and what kind of fish are you catching? What has been your biggest catch? Well, typically in Southern California, when you talk about offshore fishing, you're talking about pelagic fishing, which is can be anywhere from a couple miles off the beach to hundred miles off the beach. And those fish, pelagic fish are the ones we catch here. Yellowfin tuna, bluefin tuna, dorado, yellowtail. Um, and that's really fun fishing that we like to do. And that's primarily in the warmer months. So it starts in the summer and ends about right now in October in November now. Um, and that's really fun fishing and those fish are good eating and it's exciting to fish for them. But most of the fishing that we do is for calico bass here in Southern California. And the one thing that I, I love a million things about calico bass fishing, but the great thing about it is you can fish them all year round. You can fish them in February when the water is 54 degrees. You could fish them in the middle of summer. You can fish them a bunch of different ways. You could fish them in 120 feet of water. You could fish them in 12 inches of water. And it's just a really challenging fish, but it's such a unique fishery. And, you know, we don't have them all over there, you know, from central California through Baja. And that's the only place in the world you're going to find a calico bass. And it's just a really fun fish to catch. You can catch them so many different ways. And it's, it's sort of a big puzzle to try to figure out what they're biting, um, what they're eating, maybe what they're going to get a reaction strike from. So it's just a, a fun fishery and it's accessible. You could go out on a, on a paddleboard in front of your house and catch them, or you can run 65 miles offshore to San Clemente Island to catch them. And that's really what I like to do, but you can definitely catch them up and down the beach. Um, biggest catch I've caught Marlin. I've caught, you know, tuna over a hundred pounds on our boat. Um, big sea bass catch big halibut. Um, the biggest calico bass I've caught was an 11 pound calico and that was out at Catalina Island. But yeah, I like all types of fishing around here, offshore, inshore. Island fishing is what I really like, you know, making these long runs to Catalina or San Clemente Island or the Coronados or up to the Channel Islands. We fish Santa Cruz Island a lot, which is fun because there's really good surf out there as well. So we spend some time surfing um, when we're up there, but yeah, all over. I like all kinds of fishing. I've recently got into fly fishing. We have in-laws in Utah and Colorado. So when I'm there, I try to spend time on the water as well. Um, but most of our fishing here local is calico bass. And then, like I said, in the summertime, offshore fishing for pelagic species. Awesome. And unfortunately, accidents happen. Uh, let's talk about your accident. What happened? You said you weren't going to ask about that. <laughs> Just kidding. So, yeah, I did have a fairly traumatic boat accident. Um, this was a about 12 or 13 years ago. So we're fishing in these tournaments called saltwater bass anglers, SWBA. And it's a saltwater bass tournament series. And they have tournaments from San Diego up through Santa Barbara. So every month or so, there'd be a tournament at a different venue, a different launch ramp. <clears throat> and there was this one particular one, and it was held out of Dana Point. So it was in early springtime. And at the time, we would try to practice fish for these things or pre-fish. So 
at the time we had lived in Huntington Beach. So it was easy for us to fish near Huntington Beach, you know, before work or whenever we could. So we spent a lot of time fishing out of Newport Harbor. We fished from Newport Harbor south through Crystal Cove. <clears throat> and a few weeks leading up to it, we started catching some big fish um, in this one area just south of the harbor in, in Newport Harbor. And this was before the MLPA. So you could fish all of Laguna. You could fish a lot of areas that unfortunately you're not able to fish anymore. So the day of the tournament, we decided we were going to run up the line up to Newport and fish this area off Corona del Mar and Cameo Shores where we caught some big fish. <clears throat> so we made a long run. It was early in the morning and it was really cold. It was early springtime, so it was still pretty chilly outside. And in the tournaments, they just actually right before this, they enacted a rule, which was a great rule where you had to wear a life jacket and you had to have your kill switch on if your boat was on plane. So as soon as you left the harbor, you had to have a life jacket on. So we got up there. We made a 20 mile run or so. We started fishing and it was really cold. So we had all of our foul weather gear on our deck boots and we had our life jackets on on top. And since it was so cold, we decided just to keep our life jackets on. Um, we were fishing in shallow water, catching fish. And when I say shallow water, we're fishing in, we're, we're casting into one foot of water, but the boat is maybe in like six to 12 feet of water. And there wasn't much swell, but there was a south swell starting to fill in. So we're catching fish and we're in a really good spot. We had a three pound fish and then a five pound fish and then a seven pound fish. So we were so excited catching fish thinking we're going to win this tournament. And I was with my boat partner and my tournament partner. His name's Tyler. And we were, we have a trolling motor on the front of the boat, an electric 24 volt, volt trolling motor. So I was on the bow manning the trolling motor and he was behind the helm <clears throat> and we were bow out fishing kind of off the back of the boat into shallow water and the set came and you know both Tyler and I have surfed our whole lives we're super comfortable in the ocean and this the set started capping sort of corduroying out and you could see line after line sort of stacking up and <clears throat> so I was like Tyler start the boat like let's just be sure we can get over this one but it was a ways out so we had this 19 foot Wellcraft center console with an old Johnson two stroke on it that wasn't super reliable. So he's trying to start it, trying to start it. It's not starting, and this wave is stacking up and stacking up and getting bigger. And I'm on the trolling motor, but only going one mile an hour or so, not getting any momentum. And then this wave caps on this outer reef and it just sort of feathered. There was a couple feet of white water on top of maybe a head high wave, not a huge wave, but we couldn't get the boat started. And so we were getting, we were bow out, which is what you want to do. You want to be facing out so you can get a little momentum and push through a wave if you needed to. But unfortunately, since we couldn't get the boat started, the, this bit of whitewater hit the bow of the boat and it caught the bow and it turned the boat sideways. And we basically took off on the wave like we were surfing and we went down the face of this wave and we got to the bottom. We purled or, you know, the bow went under and the boat instantly flipped and it all happened in a matter of seconds. And we're both wearing our life jackets, which was good. So I popped up just outside of the boat between, you know, the boat and the next set coming, the next wave. And Tyler was nowhere to be found. And I'm screaming for him, looking for him. And all of a sudden he pops up and he's been a lifeguard. He's a great swimmer. So he pops up in between the boat and the beach. I'm like, are you all right? He's like, I'm fine. I'm like, get out of the way. The next set. The next wave is going to push this thing to the beach. So he swims out of the way. 
then sure enough the next wave or two pushes the skiff up onto the beach upside down and we're out floating and i get sucked out in a rip current and we both have our life jackets on we kick our boots off and he was able to swim to the beach i got sucked out to sea um, with all my gear on and then um eventually the harbor patrol came and they were able to scoop us up and then we were fine we we're able to pull the boat off the rocks and flip it over and get the water pumped out and tow it back in and you know we were freezing cold and heartbroken but you know we were we ended up being fine the boat was basically salvaged it was a total loss the t-top got ripped off the motor got ripped off um so the boat was a total loss but we were fine and fortunately had my life jacket on otherwise i don't know that i would have made it in with all my foul weather gear on all filling up with water um but yeah pretty pretty scary sight and lucky to make it through it but in the end i learned a lot from it and i lost a boat and all our fishing gear but totally happy to be alive and you know learn from that experience going forward yeah that sounds scary and so glad you made it through and yeah with all that gear it's hard to swim I don't I think people underestimate that um and you're over 13 years of age you're a good swimmer it's not the law to wear a life jacket why do you choose to wear your life jacket while you boat now well, the life jacket quite literally saved my life. So I'm forever grateful to a life jacket. And even before that point, I wore my life jacket. You know, if we were on plane making a run or even fishing in shallow water where potentially things can happen. Um, but yeah, I think it's super important. And, you know, after that, I made a point like I'm never taking this thing off. I don't take it off till we get back in the harbor and we're pulling the boat back on the ramp. Um, anything can happen. I've seen several times we've been making runs on my boat or a friend's boat and a wake hits you weird and someone gets ejected from the boat. And it sounds so crazy to just be ejected from a boat, but it happens in one second. It can happen anytime to experienced boaters. You reach over to grab a water and you're not holding on to the rail and a wake hits you sideways and you just get ejected. So it's critical to wear your life jacket um even if you're over 13 even if you're an experienced boater even if you've been boating your entire life so i'm i'm all for life jackets yeah when i'm out on the water um and i'm out on the water a lot i don't see a lot of adults wearing life jackets and the reality is no one plans on getting in an accident but accidents happen um a stowed life jacket won't save a life in a true emergency the only life jacket that saves lives is a properly fitted and worn life jacket. Um, unless I'm surfing, my perspective is that the activity I'm doing is probably not that fun unless I'm wearing a life jacket or a helmet. Um, and people, you wear seatbelts while in a car. Why shouldn't you wear a life jacket while boating? What would you tell a friend who refuses to wear a life jacket? Yeah, I think the seatbelt is a good analogy. I don't think anyone would get in a car these days without wearing a seatbelt. Like you said, it's important to wear a properly fitted life jacket. I've worn one for years now and it's, you know, I can fish, I can do whatever activity I'm doing in a life jacket. They've come a long way. <clears throat> There's different types of life jackets. A lot of people wear auto inflate ones, which is great. I wear one that's foam filled. So it's 
always filled up and ready to go. And I know if I get ejected from the boat, it's going to float. Um, but I, I've never had an issue where a friend says, I'm not wearing a life jacket or I'm too cool to wear a life jacket. We have a pretty good crew of friends that we fish with regularly. And whether you're going on my boat or another friend's boat, everybody brings their life jacket. If you don't have a life jacket, we have extra life jackets, but it's just part of your routine. You know, it's part of the checklist. You get on the boat, you bring your fishing gear, you bring your life jacket, you bring your lunch. Um, it's just part of it. And it's not a, I'm too cool to wear a life jacket. A life jacket literally saved my life. I don't, I'll never be too cool to wear a life jacket. And I think, you know, having, if I had to tell someone, look, a life jacket saved my life. I think it's important that you wear a life jacket. I care about you enough to make you wear a life jacket. Nobody's going to dispute that or have an issue with it. Um, so life jackets aren't not cool. You should definitely wear your life jacket. And what type of life jacket do you wear again? So I have a Patagonia life jacket that I've had for 15 years and it's foam filled. So it's always inflated. It's not, you know, they have some with canisters that will auto inflate when you fall in the water and those do work well. I've seen a friend fall in with one on and they inflate right away and they're great. The one I wear, like I said, it's foam filled. It has, I've added a whistle on one side and a led strobe light that will start flashing if it's submerged. So I always wear it. I had to use the whistle before. I've never had to use the light, but I know it's there if we're falling at night. Um, <clears throat> the one that I have has a couple pockets on it, which is nice when we're making uh, long runs. I always keep a handheld VHF radio in one of the pockets, and we have a small EPIRB, which will send the Coast Guard and your loved ones your location if you fall in. And I wear that in the other pocket. If there's a couple of us on the boat, I'll hand one to somebody else to wear. I'll wear, I'll use the VHF. But yeah, I wear a life jacket that has a whistle and a light and pockets for extra safety stuff. Um, do you have any additional safety tips for friends out there listening? What would you not leave the dock without? It's a good question. So I hear a lot of talk about life jackets. The one thing I don't hear a lot about is the kill switch. And the kill switch is a critical safety component. If you don't know what it is, any any outboard um, boat or even personal watercraft has a lanyard that attaches to the driver and the other attaches to the ignition and if something happens to the driver if they go overboard the boat or the personal watercraft will stop immediately <clears throat> and this is critical if you fall out of the boat and i know you think you're never going to fall out if you're holding on to a steering wheel but people fall out i've heard stories of people hitting whales going fast by themselves flying over the center console if you hit something or you hit a wake and you fall out your boat is going to go on indefinitely until it runs out of gas or runs into something. And you don't want that to happen. You'll be stranded in the middle of nowhere, potentially, and you could cause all kinds of destruction if your boat crashes into something else. So the kill switch is, I think, just as important for the driver as the life jacket. And that's something I always push. The other things I mentioned in EPIRB, it's an important tool. Um, the VHF radio, like I said, I have a backup, I have a handheld. So you want to make sure that your radio works so you can call for help if you need to. I like to have a backup, <coughs> excuse me, just in case your boat runs out of battery or 
you don't have a means <clears throat> to use your VHF that's on your boat, you have a backup handheld VHF. Um, those are really important, especially if you're far offshore and you need help. Um, the other things, the, the weather forecasts are so good now. You can check NOAA, you can check Sailflow, you can check Surfline, you can check all these forecasting tools and they're really, really accurate. You know, 15, 20 years ago when we were making these runs to San Clemente Island, you would look, it would say it's nice and then two o'clock would come and it'd be blowing 30 miles an hour out of the West. These days they're really good at forecasting. So be sure to check those things, check NOAA. A lot of these sites are free. Um, you know, have an idea before you get out there what the weather is going to be like. And the other thing is have a float plan. So before you get on your boat the night before, if you're going to go fish or you're going to go cruise around or whatever the case, check the weather, check if you're going to San Clemente Island, check the closures, make sure that there's no Navy activity you're going to get into. And then maybe check the fishing report, checking with some friends that have been fishing, check sea surface temperatures, whatever the case, develop a plan. It obviously is going to change. No plan on the water set in stone, but have a rough idea of when you're leaving, roughly where you're going, roughly when you're coming back and let your wife know, let your spouse know, let your friends know, let your parents know, let somebody know so that if you say you're going to go fish at San Clemente Island and you think you're going to be on the west end of the island and you'll be back around dark, they have a good idea. If you're an hour late, it's not the end of the world. But if you don't come back that night, they can call the Coast Guard, they can call help and they can they can at least notify the proper authorities of generally where you are. And like I said, things always change. You might get out there and the fishing might not be good at San Clemente Island. And maybe you have Catalina as a backup and you're going to just make a run there. Um, but at least you have a general idea of where you're going and when you're going to be back. So they can call for help. So yeah, flow plan, safety equipment, the more time you spend on the water, the more things are going to go wrong, but the more you're going to kind of learn from those and, you know, make a mental checklist of safety gear that could have helped you. Um, I've been stranded out at all of the islands before. Um, I've gotten towed back from San Clemente Island several times and, you know, going five or eight knots getting towed home. That's a really cold eight to 10 hour ride back. So make sure you have gear to keep you warm, even if it's summertime or nice weather make sure you have a blanket or you know some some food and water to get you home safely because anything can happen and you never know so i think those are all my safety tips kill switch life jacket vhf eperb i know it's a lot but the more time you spend on the water the more you're gonna run into issues and the more you're gonna need all these things so i think that's about it yeah, thank you, Justin, for your time today. Thank you for sharing your experience with us and your story. And thank you to all of our friends out there listening to Dockside. Please make sure to tune in for our future episodes. This podcast was brought to you by the California State Parks, the California Coastal Commission, and the San Francisco Estuary Partnership. And it is partially funded by the Division of Boating and Waterways Clean Vessel Act Education Program and the Federal Clean Vessel Grant Act.